Hello and welcome to another episode of Progressive Ranch. I'm Nabil and I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land from which I'm dialing in from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to elders past and present. On the pod today with me is the one and only Rory because everybody else has lives and things know, to right? do and stuff to, you know, happening in their lives and, you know, you know, the real. No one really gives a shit, Rory. No one gives a shit about this show anymore. Guess not. Clearly, like Nas is like trying to set it up while he's driving. I'm like, dude, you can't do the show while you're fucking driving, man. Like, I, I wanted to, just, I wanted to watch him try, but that's just me. I don't know. It's just, uh, I don't know. Ian's having a baby, apparently. Well, not it's ridiculous. Ian, but, <laughs> Actually, nah, that's uh It's not ridiculous because uh, <laughs> you know, he's got a partner and they were trying, so now they have, are having a baby. So that's how babies work. Or I don't know if you know this, but we'll we'll do, we'll do an episode on how babies happen. It should be an interesting one. We'll Next have time. all our own. Th- I'm interested to see what Nas's theory on how babies happen is. Like that would Stork. be a fun one to. Ooh, st- <laughs> <laughs> Who the stork? We don't. We don't have storks in Bangladesh. We have crows. So you might go with the crow. Uh, yeah. Delivered the by crow. the angry crow. Uh, today's episode is a is a mixed bag. We uh, I'll keep it real with everybody. We didn't really plan on making an episode. It kind of just happened. Me and Rory, as usual, the um, the happy guys on the podcast team, <laughs> uh, like to talk about all things great and wonderful that's happening in the world. So I think we kind of started off uh, talking about a little bit of Iran, only because it's such a huge topic that we have been working on in the background. Uh, I just want everyone to know that um, one of the episodes, not episode, but we're probably going to do a three to four part series on it, on a QAnon mm-hmm. series on Iran. And uh it's one of those things that we've been wanting to do from the very beginning, but we want to do it justice. And the more research we do, uh, we decide to add another part to the fucking series because just keep getting holy deeper and deeper. Fucking shit! And that's what literally happened today. We're just basically outlining the actors, the main actors in this whole situation, uh, mm. and not just like you know the Shah or Mossadegh and george herbert walker bush but like you know they're cronies that are there behind the scenes to this day pulling the strings in all sorts of foreign policy just to get in a couple of names elliot abrams john bolt uh, bolton all these other guys they they come from they come from a pedigree that um like we as you'll hear in the podcast um as we go into the episode they're all connected. They're all from the same fucking gang. These are the same people who were in Vietnam, touched based on Vietnam, touched based on World War II, um, American imperialism starting from World War II, even the banana republics, um, how capitalism has driven all these, um, almost to this, well, in this day and age, fucking no, nonsense wars. It's all about lining up the pockets of contractors and u.s business interests and you know it's it's always about resources and about making money and we did touch base on a lot of assholes in history this episode because that's all we discuss assholes mm-hmm. in history maybe we should change the name of the fucking show to assholes in history because uh i probably get a lot less yelling <laughs> on twitter for it true we probably would i mean maybe we could split it up we have assholes in history and then we have progressive taliban shitting on <laughs> the assholes in history that would be a great like <laughs> we're gonna make so many friends oh, just friends like we do with our foreign policy right we make so many friends yeah all but we'll the... get into it yeah we do get into it get into it deep we kind of cut off at the end because like we just didn't know where to end plus i got a phone call and i was like you know what rant over <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> fuck it 
So anyways, guys, like a nice depressing episode. Here we go. As usual, progressive rants. Enjoy. Just look at this fucking section right here. Just right oh, oh, here. It's tons, dude. We 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 made a massive, massive conflict of interest. Again, especially it's because I, the whole thing was about was about making sure that no other countries would sell legally to Iran because we wanted to illegally sell to them. And you got to figure a lot of it just had to do with the fact that Reagan could not end the embargo with Iran. He couldn't fucking do it because it would have hurt politically, right? It would have made them look like assholes, especially after the previous administration not fucking doing it, right? You want to sit there yeah. and rail against Jimmy Carter and how bad he's fucking up? Oh, by the way, watch as I do this. No, it can't get caught. And it's funny, everyone calls Carter one of the worst fucking presidents at all time. And and you look at what fucking Reagan did. Motherfucker commits <laughs> treason. And they, they <laughs> think that fucking Carter's worse with his peanut farm, right? I just fuck. Don't get me wrong. I think Carter. I think Carter knows. I think Carter knew. He used to talk about what he thought the biggest failure of his administration was, right? And it was failing to get um, those hostages. It was failing to get the embassy hostages. And uh, you know, it's funny because again, you look at the context of that, and Reagan and their administration didn't want anything to come of it until Reagan was in office because they knew it would sink the Carter administration from getting a second term. Which is fucking awesome. Well, that's 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 where all these fucking I mean, Bush cronies come in way. at this point. They're like, we just need to hold out for seventy something days. No October surprise. Yeah, none of that shit. And that's where the whole hidden. See, that's the thing. Like Reagan comes out publicly talking about how um, there were he didn't know arms were being sold. This is like in 86. and he's saying, oh, this was after the boland amendment no this is way before the boland amendment and then you dig deeper and it's not before the boland amendment this was before he even became president so there was mm -hmm. an understanding i gotta find um exactly so like there's a there's a, there's a transcript 70s? between the yeah, yeah 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 there's a transcript between high level iranian um i don't know it was a prime minister or some minister or something with u.s um intelligence and whatnot to having this discussion yeah and he's yeah, out yeah. in the open saying like we this meeting happened like mm -hmm. herbert walker bush definitely knew about it he was one oh, of the he wasn't there directly but he definitely he spearheaded the happening yeah. yeah exactly so it's it and i wouldn't put it past him because think about it the 70s was all america fucking overthrowing governments left right right in the center like for example, mm -hmm. this dude Look right at the here, 50s to the 70s. We really fucked up Central America. Actually, up until through the 80s, I believe. Well, obviously, because of what we're talking this about. This guy, Theodore Shackley, was personally involved in the operation of uh, overthrowing Allende. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is the dude. Like, yeah. uh, Richard Secord in Vietnam, uh, Poindexter in Vietnam, Robert McFarlane in Vietnam. This guy has been selling weapons to everybody. Fucking Gorban up here. So... Like Albert Hakim, another dude, like all these middlemen. So mm -hmm. it's, it's well, crazy. this is like, why Reagan never went to jail. This is why it's because you had these people below him and you had people like Oliver North shredding information that directly tied Reagan to the whole process. If, if these people hadn't been there, like if Oliver North hadn't kept his fucking mouth shut, we would have a very, very different history that we would be discussing right now because reagan would have gone down he very well have may have been the first sitting president where congress sat there and went no 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 impeachment's not enough you are you committed treason 
You committed treason against the United States, you and all of the people involved. But amazingly, those people were all smart enough to shred the documents and keep their fucking mouths shut and then take whatever fucking slap on the wrist came down their way. Again, think about how integral Ollie North was to all of this stuff. And he got two years of probation. That was the result. He had multiple felony charges against him. But because of the way, and I'm sorry. He was literally I, project manager. Yeah, and, <laughs> it, and, it, and it kind of frustrates me because it's the kind of thing where you wish Congress had had better foresight in understanding what giving him immunity meant. In this situation, because invariably the immunity that Congress gave them is what hobbled the prosecution's case against him because he was immune from all of the things that he said in front of Congress in terms of their prosecution. So they couldn't sit there and and make an arguable case to the judge that Oliver North should be, you know, I, I've. I don't even know, found guilty in regards to certain things because he himself had been given immunity on the result of those things in question. So in the end, you have someone like Ollie North getting two years probation, still admitting guilty to several felony charges and having very, very little come from it because of, you know, all of his testimony in front of Congress. You know, you got people that are sitting around going, well, you know, uh, I think he's been through enough. And it's like, fuck, fuck you guys. Like, honestly, an interesting parallel I draw with Ollie North and um, I would say not very, not a direct comparison, but what's the guy's name? Fucking Flynn? Mm -hmm. Like they said, they said a president first. So like he also did shady shit and walked Scott free. So they said they have a whole fucking formula for this shit now. Oh, there's a ton <laughs> of them of though. You know, it's uh, yeah. what was the, which one was the guy from the Trump administration who all, like, I'm telling you, it's, it's all really of them. Famous. Fucking well, <laughs> but but yeah yeah but so like everyone's everyone's like to tie it all back the ran contra and all this because these scandals just seem to be you know so apt with today's current events you look at the withdrawal from afghanistan right and it's like but this because the same players are still involved in all yeah. this stuff well it's frustrating you know what man like i don't i don't like biden these are I lifetime projects for these people i don't they just are Oh, I mean, once a company man, always a company man. Everyone yeah. talks about like, you know, you go work for Langley and you're not making a ton of money. It's that meager salary you get, but you're doing the work for America as if most of those people aren't lining their pockets with what they're doing in the background. How do you think the fucking Bush family became so goddamn rich? Think it had anything to do with old Herbert Walker Bush with being the one of the direct head directors for the CIA right around the time when we were consolidating fucking oil for our country in Central America? You think that has anything to do with it? Because if and you all those don't, coups that happen wrong. everywhere. Yeah. yeah you don't think that that's financially beneficial for the people who are directly involved with them you know it's the kind of thing people just don't understand i think look at like look at fucking vladimir putin for fuck's sake most people don't realize that uh that dude made his bones breaking hungarian spies in fucking western and eastern europe during the cold war that's where vladimir putin came from he wasn't just some fucking dude who decided he wanted to go into politics politics one day he was directly involved in cold war espionage and used his information and his training and his intelligence he was the herbert walker bush of russia basically yes Fuck yes it. yes yes exactly and so people don't understand how it's like well how does that translate into having power later on how does it not explain to me how it doesn't because there's plenty of examples of these people who are company men suddenly going on later on to i don't know lead the fucking country and i don't know about you but that seems like a conflict of interest to me but apparently it isn't 
I mean, apparently we just let that shit go. And then we let his son fucking go ahead and have his fucking time at the wheel. And I just don't, I don't get how we get from yeah, but one his place time to at another. the wheel was surrounded by all of daddy's cronies. Yeah, it was a bunch of yes, men. I feel bad for yeah. George Bush because at the same time, like, I don't, I'm not one of those people. Yeah, because it was, it was meant to him... be Jeb. Let's keep it real. Yeah. If Jeb had won his governorship election, what he was supposed to, it was him who was going to run for it. He was, I mean, he was the one, he's the one who learned Spanish. He's the one who didn't have a coat. He was basically the Bo Biden of the Bush family. Well, it's just, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like you want to feel bad. And they got stuck for... with the Hunter Biden of the Bush family. Well, you want to feel bad for him. And at the same time, you can't. You know what I mean? Because on the one hand, I think I don't think he was as smart uh, as people give him credit for. It. And I also didn't think he was as stupid as people suspected he was. You know what I mean? We're talking about a guy who grew up and was educated in fucking rich white connecticut okay that that is you know it's yale university i don't know about you guys but i don't know a lot of southern drawls that came out of connecticut and yale right but the second he started running for office suddenly he's sliding right into it like he's a good old texas boy and i'm mm -hmm. sorry but there's something about that that is like he's stupid like a fox you know he he's smart oh, Hillary enough. clinton did the same thing as yeah. well depending on where she was she tweaked her fucking yeah. accents where oh of goes. course and the funny thing is is you look at that and you go and bush won because of it you know where, yeah. whereas someone like hillary clinton she gets she gets written off as being shrill and duplicitous but george bush jr got written off as being a good old boy and a member of the fucking american people he's someone that i have us. a beer with a yeah, guy I can have a beer with. And you sit there and go, you know, he's worth like a hundred million dollars, right? You know, he's like at least. Yeah, at, you know, he's worth more than your entire family has made in your lineage, and you're talking about how he's one of you, and that is both how conservatives won America and how America lost. Is because what do you think Donald Trump did? He ate fast uh, food everywhere he went, thing. so he connected with everybody on that. Yeah different is, is i don't think donald trump is really that fucking smart i think donald trump is is an excellent example of what happens when you give stupid people money because all you need to do is to be stupid with a lot of money and you can get smart advisors who stand around you and you know what the thing is is at the same time even when they're smart they can't stop him from going i want to make steaks i want to be i want to do i want to make a magazine let's buy a casino and everyone goes don you know i'm not sure if that's necessarily the most financially prudent thing and he goes yeah and he does it anyways he throws a bunch of fucking money at the wall and it either sticks or it doesn't and the thing is is that when it didn't stick he went and sued his partners he sued his constituents he sued the people he was building for and he recouped his money through long-term frivolous litigation that became easier to settle than it did to fight so that's where he held his money and we're not talking about making money we're talking about holding on to what he could because of that same adage that always gets brought up when you talk about donald trump which is if you just put his fucking money into this into a savings account he'd have more money now than if he had made all those business ventures that's not the sign of a good businessman i don't care who the fuck tells you that donald trump was a good businessman he's a failed businessman he's a reality television show host and sadly he was the president a twice impeached awful fucking mistake of a president and you know everyone says well look at the economy look at this look at that and i know i'm rambling but god damn it he pisses me off i just this is why we it's, lose it's, as a country it's fine rory but, but we let this shit go for a reason this it's is fine. why you know this is why uh you know this is why people are confused about what happened in vietnam people go well you know it's hard to really pin down what that war was no it wasn't no it's not any more than it was difficult to pin down what World War II or World War I was about, at least in terms of American involvement, money. 
Money and power and control. That's it. Everyone always talks about the freedom of America during World War II. We didn't want to go into World War II. We only went into World War II once they fucking attacked us. Okay? We, we wanted nothing to do with that because you know what the funny thing was is that we had banks in this country who are very, very large financial investors of certain politicians who were also, guess what? Backing the Nazis. You can go back and find that some of the larger financiers in American history were also some of the largest financiers in Nazi it's history. Like, it's, it's akin to, like, say, either a Jeff Bezos or um, Elon Musk yeah. or Bill Gates coming out and saying, I support the Taliban and we will be doing business relations with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And That's this is basically obviously... a direct comparison. Look, I'm comparing well, Henry Ford. It would be a more direct comparison. Oh, oh, yeah. And, and they gave him what? The Iron Cross or the Eagles, the... Eagles Cross or Eagle, yeah, something it's like whatever something the highest it's the highest civilian, yeah. It's the highest civilian award you can get. Um, and they gave that to him. There's pictures of him with Hitler as he shows off the Model T. People don't understand that Ford was a notorious anti-Semite. He was a huge piece of shit, but they don't care because he was an integral part of, of the U.S. capitalist business venture at the turn of the century. He revolutionized the automa- the automotive industry. So guess what? He's a swell fucking dude, even though he thought that the la- very large percentage of the population didn't deserve to exist because of what God they believed in. So good for you, Mr. Ford. I remember the first time I was working at this large investment firm in Boston, right around the time I met you. And uh, I walked up into this guy's office. He's like number three at the company. Me, the dude, in within the time it took me to walk in and out of his office, he made more money in the time I was there than I made that entire year. Just a rich fuck, a real rich fuck. And I look mm-hmm. at his wall and he's got a Henry Ford quote. And oh God, if it didn't take all of my fucking heart and strength to not look at him and go, that guy's a Nazi, you know? And I'm sorry. He goes, excuse me. I go, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Nazi sympathizer, because that's what's important, right? That's an important distinction. Anyways, you have a good day, sir. Here's your mail. Mm. I'll get out of your hair. And then off I walk. But it was just weird things like that. People just don't seem to understand that that historical threat. But so you look at all that, you know? Did, did did Afghanistan really have anything different that the other wars that we have faced in the past have? Did Because, again, you, you want to argue about how World War II was about stopping the Nazis and, 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 you know, saving the Jewish population. Do you know how many Americans in the war didn't know about concentration camps until after? Because you'd be surprised. It's, this, it's, it's a shocking number, and it's surprising to think about because – the same argument you'll find is people sitting there going, well, do you know how many German people knew about the concentration camps? And you sit there and go, they had to. They had to have fucking known, right? It's happening in their backyard. And you sit there and go, no, no, they didn't, right? How how many people, even now, when you ask them about the history of World War II, know that we had Japanese internment camps in the United States? People don't know this stuff because they don't want Hardly. to know. They don't educate themselves about it. Hardly anybody knows. And it's funny because there's people who are still alive who are in those fucking camps. Star Trek's <laughs> no, George right? Takei, Mr. Sulu. He was yeah. in an internment camp as he was a child. You Even uh, the one of the vocalists from, what's it called? Um, Lincoln Park. He's uh, I think he's half Japanese. He's got a yeah. whole song about how his grandfather and his family got sent to internment camps sure. during World War II. Like, um, yeah. And to be honest, that's how I actually learned about it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, he made a song about it. <laughs> 
And it's that I don't even remember where I heard about it for the first time, but it's just something that I always try to keep in mind because I think it's a really important part of the U.S. history. And at least it's it's important in in discussing the true narrative of what our country is and what we do, because there's so many people, especially now, who fall into this nationalist sort of jingoist rhetoric about strong America. And that's what the military is about. It's about spreading democracy and peace and making sure that the rest of the world who might not know well enough how to take care of themselves can still get take care of by daddy patriotism. And that I'm sorry, is not the fucking truth. It is not the reality of why we do things. Anyone who thinks that we were over in Afghanistan to spread peace is full of shit and you are lying to yourselves. If you think it was about getting fucking Osama bin Laden, it wasn't because all credible intel put him in Pakistan, which is where we eventually ended up finding him. He might have had some operations in Afghanistan that led us there, but it's the same thing. Do you really believe that coming out of an administration that lied to you about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? Let's be honest. Also, it's a well-known fact that the ISI in Pakistan support the Taliban. So they knew everything that was going on in there for sure. Mm -hmm. And so you you think they got all their fucking, how do you think we pilfered all those weapons to them to fight against the soviets through pakistan (laughs) yeah well and it's just a sad thing uh, because everyone thinks that the kind of discussions that our military have are based on nuanced moral discussions and they're not or else we would have entered a lot of these conflicts far far earlier than we did look at england england was getting decimated by fucking blitzkriegs along with fucking spain ever heard of guernica you know you got people who've been mm-hmm. lamenting about this shit for years it finds its way into popular culture and art and we sat over here twiddling our thumbs because it wasn't our fucking problem it became our problem again when japan initiated a surprise attack on us and it's funny because i've argued with his, like a friend of mine who was a historian over this where sometimes there's an argument that we were warned about this prior to the attack and um, there's also the argument that from a military perspective, we goaded the attack by putting the entirety of our military force within an easy striking distance of somebody who was arguably our enemy. You know, these are the sort of things that we don't do now because of what we've well, seen. Well, this at is Pearl an Harbor. interesting part about Pearl Harbor, though. Like it gets lost or at least the Japanese attack. The Japanese didn't just attack Pearl Harbor. They attacked uh, the Philippines and I forgot another place. And basically... Um, there's internal, basically there's a draft of, um, Roosevelt's speech where he deliberately, so there's a draft and the final version of the speech where he obviously, it's the famous speech that he gave up, but the draft included the other Philippines. And I can't remember the fucking other place that the Japanese basically decimated American presence. Might so, have been China. Uh, China. I think it was an island. China. I can't remember. I can't it remember. Wasn't, just, it wasn't the I'll, small I'll island that's that um, really important spot, the, that atoll, whatever it's called. I think so. Um, not a, I can't remember. It was a strategic one. So yeah, we had, a, there, we had a very was... we have a very big presence in... Um, I'll just Google it right now, actually. Um, was it? The, Pearl Harbor? In the Marshall Islands? It's one of them. So basically, uh, Theodore Roosevelt and his... Um, not Theodore. Franklin Roosevelt and his advisors thought it was a stretch to put in Philippines. It was basically a stretch too far for American mm-hmm. empire at that point. Hawaii was the cutoff. Yeah. So you got to remember, Hawaii wasn't even a state back then, right? So was it? No. We're talking 40s? about World no, War II? It was, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, so, they were one of the last, which was, I can find, let me find out for you. So the re- this, was the, this was the interesting reasoning. It's all about like national borders and stuff like that. So. Yeah, no, it was, Roosevelt, it was 59. Yeah, so Roosevelt, Roosevelt made a constant, um, conscious decision of leaving out philippines and everything because he knew that the american public wouldn't want to engage because it's like 
fucking all the way on the other side of the world, right? Mm-hmm. The same as, and we're coming at it from a time of like isolational isolationism, right? So we're not really engaging much outside of our own sphere of influence in at least the southern hemisphere. That's about it. To go to the fucking Pacific on the other side of the Pacific is pushing it. Hawaii was the was just like, all right, we're gonna draw a line in the sand. This is where America is. Because yeah. if we try to do that, so that that's how he used the propaganda. That's how I deliberately left those uh, attacks out in his speech. Like, but the fact of the matter mm-hmm. is, we got destroyed in those attacks by the Japanese. So it's not, it's not so Japanese sure. had a coordinated attack on this whole Pacific region, and their whole plan was to obliterate the U.S. from the Pacific side. Obviously, they didn't achieve that. They achieved two thirds of that. If we they got had achieved, lucky with one attack, basically that turned yeah. the war for us. I mean, we were losing our our fight in the Pacific. And it was the Battle of Midway, which obviously mm-hmm. has been made very, very famous through stories um, and movies. Uh, but if it wasn't for the Battle of Midway, we very well could have lost the battle um, in the Pacific against the Japanese. Um, you know, we got we got incredibly lucky that day where I believe what ended up happening. We had a, a very large sortie of airplanes that were looking for a, a very large section of the Japanese military out in the water and just... <laughs> got super fucking lucky and ended up in the right place at the right time for the attack otherwise it would have failed um yeah so the invasion of philippines started on 8th of december 10 hours after the attack of pearl harbor so they mm-hmm. wanted to cut off the they basically wanted to cut off the u.s navy from coming into the philippines and supporting it but they already fucking fucked us over in the philippines basically yeah after that so Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because, you know, that that's I mean, it's it's a depressing but super interesting part of World War Two, because people don't seem to realize like where we were doing really well um, in terms of our European campaign, in terms of casualties, you know, uh, the guys over in, uh, you know, <laughs> over in the Pacific, they got put through the fucking meat grinder. Those people, mm-hmm. you, people, people don't recognize Iwo Jima. We had like a 60% casualty rate for Iwo Jima. You were more likely fucking to Hex not come Bridge, home. Man? Yeah, fucking you were more hell. likely you were more likely to die over there than you were to come home. And you know, it's it's something that kind of gets lost just because a lot of that argument gets discussed in terms of like combat time for people on uh, the European front, which I believe was actually only a couple of weeks of full combat time, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and then you cut to like Vietnam where it became hundreds of days of combat like you when you were out you were most likely going to be in a combat zone you're most likely going to fight and that really wasn't indicative of the fighting in europe you know you were going a long time in between these skirmish battles you were taking land you were doing a lot of traveling and then you were coming into an opposition versus vietnam where we were dropping people in you know i mean what was it landing zone x-ray where we <laughs> dropped uh, up you know one of our platoon of of marines next to an entire Viet Cong battalion of like what three or five thousand I, I it was like it was an incredibly uh, uh you know at odds difference we got totally steamrolled and just everyone ended up getting I mean I, they ended up getting people out of there but it was ba- almost a slaughter um you know so there's just these weird disparities and uh it always kind of brings to mind um the Pacific just because people don't seem to really remember that I don't know yeah, so like in the February 1942, as Japanese forces closed in, Franklin Roosevelt ordered MacArthur, MacArthur, General MacArthur, to evacuate to Australia with his wife and son and a handful of senior staff to take, to take command of Pacific forces. So the Japanese yeah. were basically knocking on Australia, not to. Like they had taken that mm-hmm. whole area of Indonesia and all this other stuff. 
and uh yeah so it was a it was an interesting time because uh if you think about it that it was a critical point in terms like it was anyone's game at that point it was literally anybody's game and plus Mm -hmm. knowing what we know about the japanese fighting style those motherfuckers are gonna fight till death and that's something you could not make any other culture to be honest (laughs) you can't you couldn't make them do that Mm-hmm. well maybe well, there's, the vietnamese there's always that weird discussion <laughs> but, i mean know. well we could have that discussion about whether or not we think that the you know the japanese would have surrendered with or without um you know say fat man and little boy without the nuclear test that we we oh, they made, were planning we, on it they were planning on they were there planning was a on lot of discussion there was a lot of discussion about it the argument is that it was very very obviously leaning towards surrender right mm-hmm. and that was around the time that we dropped the first and uh, the first bomb um my question, you know what, I, I, I'm i not sure is the time interval between the two bombings. That was the three real days. question for me. It was three days. So my yeah. question there is, if if they were on the lean of surrender, why did the first atomic bomb not push them towards surrendering within those few days? You know, that's that's my question. It doesn't make me lean towards the opposite of the argument. It's just sort of the, the nagging question that kind of floats through the back of my mind. Um, and I tie that in because, so this is an interesting piece of World War II history. Um, there's this guy, his name's Shiro Ishii, right? Shiro Ishii, as far as I'm concerned, was sort of like the Hitler of, of the Japanese. Um, and I say that because while, you know, everybody knows about, uh, who was it? Um, the Nazi doctors. It wasn't Goebbels, was it? Um, is it Mengele? Mengele, uh, Goebbels. Uh, I, yeah. The the Nazis are over there experimenting on the Jews, correct? While they're doing this, there's the, an alternate. Yes, Joseph Joseph Mengele. Yeah. So while Mengele, the angel of death. Yeah. So while he's doing that over there and he's experimenting on the Jews, you had something very parallel happening in Japan at this place called Unit Seven Thirty One. Now, if you haven't heard about Unit Seven Thirty One, I suggest you go look into it because it's pretty much the most fucked up things I've ever heard of. And I mean, we've got the internet nowadays where I've seen some pretty twisted shit on the internet. You can see gang executions and stuff, but the stuff they describe happening in unit 731 will keep you up at night. Okay. So it was run by this guy, Shiro Ishii. And basically this was the wing of the Japanese biological warfare division was what unit 731 was about. And they were trying to figure out how to weaponize disease. And now that was part of what they were doing, right? They were so they were, they were they were fucking around with the plague, and and very various you know biological diseases. But that wasn't all they were doing. What they were also doing was taking mainland uh, civilians from China, as well as POWs, some of what I would consider some of the most unlucky POWs in history, um, and they were experimenting on them in pretty horrible ways. So what they would do is they would take someone and woe unto you. I mean, if you were a woman, you were going to get way worse because in between these, there was often, you were often subjected to rape by the soldiers who were working at this, this division. Um, but what they would do is they would say, give you a disease that infects your liver, right? So they know this, this disease is going to infect your liver and they know it's probably going to take somewhere in the next two weeks for it to take full effect. So they infect you, right? And then they vivisect you. And now everyone knows what dissection is. Dissection is when you're dead. Vivisection is when you're alive. Vi, alive, vital, vivi. So you have vivisected. I put the two together as you yeah. were explaining that. I'm like, uh, is, so they, they, would, is he going to say what I think he's going to so say? So they would chain you up and then they would isolate where your liver is. And then they would cut the patch out of your skin and they would open it up and they would observe your liver. And Sounds they would go, like 11th grade biology class with the frog yeah. and shit. 
except you're alive. Yeah. And you're hmm. a human. And so they would look at you and then they would sew you back up and then they'd throw you in a cell and then they would wait a couple of days. And now you're not being treated, of course. So now you've gotten worse. And of course, they've just, they, do you think they really gave a shit about how they cut you open or sewed you up? So now you're probably infected as well. And then in a couple of days, they take that same cut and they open you back up again. They look at the liver again. They make the recordings and they do this until you would die. They would do it until you were dead. And now it wasn't just liver diseases. It was also venereal diseases, um, many of which were given to the women from the soldiers. Um, and it was through this that they studied these things. Having done all of this, Shiro Ishii at the end of World War II was one of the people who was pulled from the now CIA's Operation Paperclip. So Shiro Ishii was sort of um, pulled away, didn't have anything to do with Nuremberg or any of the, any any sort of war criminal trials for what he had did. And he ended up dying. Oh my God, is this the guy the who United got States. complete immunity because the United States just wanted to take all that? They wanted all of his documentation. They wanted no all his research. No fucking way, I heard about they, this, fuck. Yep. But what people don't really know about Shiro Ishii was that he was one of the people who was vehemently against Japanese's surrender. He didn't want to surrender. And you know why? Was so... If we put the day of the surrender roughly two weeks after the day the Japanese decided to surrender, there was an operation that was scheduled to go forward. Um, it was called Operation Cherry Blossoms at Night. You can go look this up. You can check it out on Wikipedia. It's pretty interesting. Operation Cherry, Operation Cherry Blossoms at Night was going to be somewhat of uh, an extension of, of um, the Japanese's kamikaze units in which these people would take these sort of single piloted uh janky submarine crafts that were only meant to go one way and they would fill these things up with fleas and uh, other uh, insects carrying the plague and they like they had done before where they they had a previous uh, operation where they were releasing um what do they call those those chinese lanterns over the coast uh, over the western coast because they were trying to light fires which mm -hmm. is actually something they did they they successfully did this where they, they lit a couple of forest fires um in the United States this way. But so off that success, they developed this operation. And the point was they were going to release these men across the ocean towards the Pacific coast. And then they were going to release hundreds and thousands of these little Chinese lanterns full of insects that were carrying the plague. And now they would let these things fall over the mainland that would infect the populace. And this would be the beginning of the Japanese soft invasion of the United States. Several weeks after which the, the Japanese had planned a full-scale invasion of the Western coast. That was the precursor to it. And all of this would have happened had they not surrendered, had we not dropped the bombs. And now that becomes the interesting argument. Did the bombs keep this from happening? Were they going to surrender anyways? Would, I mean, you have to, would you have people to, like Shiroishi like, have been arguing? Tokyo's leveled yeah. at this point, dude. Like, mm -hmm. fucking most Japanese, like the only two cities that were still standing, surprisingly, were Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. Well, and that's a also funny. reasons, though. There's a couple of reasons, though, because they, they yeah. wanted to test the uh, the effect of the the bombs mm -hmm. in a certain geographical, um, like, because I think Hiroshima flat, was, flat yeah. areas. Yeah. Well, Hiroshima is a little interesting because it's kind of like a base, it's got the mountains on the side. Like not mountains, but like hills on the side, so you can still see um the so the impact zone just like the only thing that still stands there is that fucking church or that building that the bomb exploded over, like yes. the structure of it. Mm -hmm. Everything got leveled, dude. Mm -hmm. We that that if 
If that isn't a fucking war crime, I do not know what is. I mean, that's that's the whole point of why we did it. I mean, people talk about why, you know, did we do it to end the war? I mean, I'm sure there was people who would argue that we did. But let's be honest. It was a showing the world that we had it. It was showing the Germans that we had beat them in the race. We had beat uh, Heisenberg to, um, you know, not only to the bomb, but obviously because of we beat him to the bomb, we beat them to nuclear power because a lot of this ties into, you know, nuclear reactions, deuterium and all of that, which we can tie back to discussing the heavy water war that happened as well, mm-hmm. or what it's called heavy water war. Um, but that sort of gets off on a whole different thing. I, I definitely think that, you know, there was there was a lot of precedent. But before I forget, before we, we go it. too far away, what happened to this asshole in history? This Japanese dude. Oh, Shiro Ishii? Yeah, he got mm-hmm. he got pulled up from Operation Paperclip. Probably died in Nantucket Island somewhere in his own house that we that ta- American taxpayers bought for him. There While are probably other Japanese were interned on the other side of the fucking country, huh? huh? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And to uh... be honest, you know, and then the Nuremberg trials happened, and anybody who was tied or close to the Nazis in terms of uh, their position was hanged, and anybody who was deemed important enough, uh, you know died in america with their children probably half of them never even knowing that gamp gamp was a nazi you know Mm -hmm. that that's the thing we have lineage in the u.s there are people who you'll never know if if you're i mean you might years later when you you were cleaning out grandpa's attic because you know he passed away find a picture with hitler as old buddy (laughs) you find you you don't you find his uniform you find his old flag you find his medals you know there's a reason all that stuff exists still you, a lot of it was burned. There's the certain number of people who came back from the war and they said, you know, I, I took this Hitler youth knife off of this poor bastard kid I found dead in the field. And then there's some of them who were the Hitler youth. That's just the way it is. It's a harsh. And you can't prove it. You can painful. be like, oh, yeah, why do you have this? Well, well I found it. So I, yeah. I kept it. Took, took it off a dead Nazi. You know, it's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. It's all you got to say. Um, you go, that's really odd. Gampier, uh, you know, what's your last name why your eyes are awfully blue and your hair is awfully blonde and we don't have any other references where's your army uniform gampy you know (laughs) like it's just i don't know i that's a that's a hard part of american history that we definitely have to come to terms with is that when world war ii was over we could have hung all of those bastards and instead if they had anything useful who do we we, who do we invite into america when we leave or when things are fucked and then, you know, think of, okay, I was having this conversation earlier with Marion in, in terms of like, who are, mm-hmm. who are the people who are actually complaining about um, the Taliban being in power or, um, you know, just, uh, you know, who is, who does it really affect? It affects the most, the people who have wholeheartedly supported everything the U.S. has done in Afghanistan the last week. Yeah, they got targets on their back so to, now. And so in the eyes of the Taliban, like we were in power, f- fair or unfair, way of power, you know autocratic power whatever you want to call it the u.s Definitely. come in for 20 years you support the hell out of them and like you know what do you expect us to do with you guys like you tell me <laughs> like you know what i mean like in yeah. the eyes of the taliban like you're a fucking traitor yeah and you should be treated like a traitor because you helped the empire sustain 20 years of occupation in this well it's world. a hard it's a hard conversation to have with americans right you, you got to put it to him like this. You got to go. I'm okay, making so. it very black and white. It's not that simple. No, Obviously, well, not everybody well, is going to sympathize with the Taliban because they're no, just because you know, they're it Afghan. Is, so. It is and it isn't, though, because you put it into a perspective that people in America or people in any country can understand. It's your country, right? And you're there and you get invaded by country X, right? 
And certain people in the country like the fact that you've been invaded by country X. Now, let's say the majority of the American population, let's just go ahead and say America and make it for simplicity. Yeah. Majority of Americans. Because let's keep it real. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. So America gets invaded one day. Finally, the empire falls and we get invaded. Most people are going to be pretty pissed off about that. But you don't think there's going to be some lick spittles out there that are going to go ahead and walk and, and be a part of the regime that, that comes in to take control and occupy us? Of course they are. There's going to be some people who will 100% take advantage of the scenario to try and improve their own life. And just for the like, for argument's sake, there's probably plenty of people who do it because of an ideological reason, just as many as there are people who would do it for financial or monetary personal gain. And I'm sure the same thing can be said about Afghanistan or a bit or of anything both. else. Or yeah. A bit of both. Yeah. But so let's say it's America, right? And your neighbor, Tom Jones, he decides that he's one of those fucking people. And for the next 20 years of your life, Tom is making it shitty for anybody who isn't on board with the occupationists. You're all trying to sort of fucking live your life. You watch Tom. He's developed a great life. He's living in a nicer house. His family does well. His kids are doing well. Your kids aren't doing as well because you didn't go along with the fucking status quo. So you got to deal with these jackboot fucking thugs every fucking day and make no goddamn mistake. I'm pretty sure the Afghani people probably think of the American soldiers as being the same way in a lot of regards. We are in uh, uh, you know, we are, are, are foreign occupiers. We are invaders. We're not a hell of a lot any different from the fucking British who came over here during, you know, during old revolutionary times. And so those people get beat, let's say. They realize they cannot hold America and they decide to go home. What are Americans going to do to the people who kowtowed with our invaders? Your neighbor Tom now no longer has these invading occupying force to back him and support him what do you think happens to tom what do you think happens to his family what do you think happens to his estate now those invading forces can either try to protect that person by giving them asylum in their own home or they can leave them to die and that's the kind of situation that we're discussing in terms of afghanistan right now because that's what we just fucking did <laughs> so uh it's you know put it into perspective like that that's that's what this shit is well, I mean, I mean, I can understand the frustration with a lot of people in terms of like wanting to side with the U.S. I get it because mm -hmm. a lot if you want, I mean, let's let's put it into context. Like the Taliban were definitely not letting girls go to school. Um, sure, they were. They were by all accounts. They brought back fucking seventh century Islam or eighth century Islam back to mm -hmm. the twenty first century, but like. A very misinterpreted, misrepresented version of it. Let's keep it real, because the majority, because I know a lot of Muslims, and majority sure, of Muslims, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, it's it, aren't gonna fucking be okay with that. Like every Muslim woman I know is not gonna be okay with being forced to wear a burqa. It's just yeah. not a thing. Mm -hmm. So when Nas talks about like how he can understand like the local politics of things and how things work there, I can I, I understand where he's coming from because when to you go extent. from a yeah to an extent. But then you also have to realize, what did the people outside of Kabul or outside of the urban areas experience? They experienced nonstop fucking bombing from the U.S. drones. Mm -hmm. So they would wake up or be asleep or something, and they would hear a drone, and they would just obliterate. Like, like we fucking droned a family on the way out. We killed like eight kids. That doesn't shock me. Half, half of those kids were under the age of five. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's like come that's, on. That's, who dies and we've war, been doing this so what do you what do you think who do you think these people are gonna side with 
at the end of the day. And who well, do you they, think? And are they going to be angry at their fellow Afghanis for you know working with the West or you know, just having a job with them? You know, like yeah, everyone's got bills to pay. But then it comes back to the whole Nazi directive. Oh, I was just following orders. I mm-hmm. just had a job. Like you know, yep. that's just that's. It's just when it, on when repeat. It, when it comes to cost for someone else, they, they're not going to give a shit what the context is. It's not going to matter. They're not going to give a shit if you were following orders or if somebody was holding a gun to your head. It doesn't matter because the end result is that you detrimentally affected their life. And let's be honest, people often don't think outside of themselves and their families. That's why the world sucks. That's why it's that's why we are where we are is because for the most part, you have people like that out there making unilateral decisions that affect millions and millions of people because it it positively benefits them or whatever they're trying to do, the narrative they're trying to spin, the world they're trying to create. The rest of it is inconsequential. That's how we ended up in somewhere like Afghanistan in the first fucking place. Yeah, Again, fucking defense contractors wanted to make a shit ton of money. Yeah, well, basically. everyone sits there and they argue and they go, well, where'd all the money go? Really? You really don't know? You really don't know where it went? Like, come on, man. You really don't uh, think that that Dick Cheney how being can you be the so CEO naive? of Halliburton has like, nothing to do with invading so Afghanistan and Iraq? Let's be honest. And you, you to be honest, these are the same people who can see corruption through and through in every part of the world. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to fucking U.S. politics or, you know, actors in U.S. government, they don't see that happening. They think mm-hmm. that everything's in the vested interest of the United, furthering U.S. interests. Yeah. And let's be honest. I mean, and they hide behind who, that every time, too. Well, anybody who studies U.S. history knows that's not the fucking case. I mean, this is why people everyone always sits there and goes, well, I don't understand why so many people in today's society have an issue with, you know, the, the, the nature of capitalism or, you know, the nature of work in America or work in, in, in you know, in, in the world in general, careers, the, the furthering of, of yourself for the sense of business. And I sit there and I go, I mean. The banana wars are a great example of why I don't necessarily like the, the system of capitalism. I mean, there's 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 plenty of examples throughout history. I mean, you can look at every war and argue about the business side of that and and, and what that rots, you know, for for the rest of society. It's just like it's, like it's an said, amazing Trump, thing to ignore. But so many people Trump every single day do it. No, Trump wasn't a genius. He didn't have nuance. So he just straight up said it. Yeah, we're there for the oil. Yeah, he said the part out loud that everyone would be saying. We're there he said the democracy. quiet part. Yeah, he said the quiet part out loud, and everybody fucking. It's been twenty years, dude. Everybody fucking knows why we're there. Everybody knows. And the funny thing is, is he sits there, and it's amazing that that people still backed him after he said that kind of stuff. Because think about it, if 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 Clinton had been in the Gulf War saying that we were there for the oil, it would have destroyed him. Like I, I even uh, I, I would you, probably even Bush. No, no, no. Oh, I meant Clinton. Wait, Clinton. Clinton finished out the Gulf War, didn't he? No, I think it was Bush. I thought. I thought Clinton was there for. I gotta have to look it up now. Uh, but, but the I point. I think you know. And even if it was Bush, I think Bush probably would have still dealt with it. I don't know where we've gone so far in terms of politics in this country, where Trump got away with all the shit that he did. And it's amazing because look how quickly that that coin has flipped in terms of Biden. Biden can't do right. He like Trump could do no wrong. Biden can do no right. And it's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, I don't know how we got here. No, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's definitely Bush. Did yeah. Bush pull us out? Oh, of, of yeah, the Gulf. Yeah. Oh, the, the the Gulf, the team. George Herbert Walker Bush, Dick Cheney, Colin Powell. Fucking who else is there? Uh, this Johnson name sounds familiar. Who's this guy? Oh yeah, he's a fucking Marine Corps. Yeah, Marine Corps. Centcom. Yeah, he's the leader of the Centcom. Yeah. There you go. So it's always the old players. Like these names just keep popping up over and over. Like you look into any issue, it's the same fucking names. 
I'm bummed out at myself. For some reason, I thought that the Gulf War continued into at least the first year of Clinton's administration, and I was 91 when it ended, and he didn't come in until 93, so I was way off. It was pretty short, bad. actually. Technically, it was one month, one week, and four days. Yeah. That Clinton was all, came into power in 92, right? Yeah. It was all about that Earl. No, Clinton was Earl. 93, I thought, wasn't he? 93, Clinton, yeah. So this Clinton is... Well, this is... He, he won in yeah. 92. Yeah. Goddamn politics. Get so convoluted. And the, the interesting side of this, so uh, I learned more about um, uh, what's it called the, the geopolitical side of things uh, while in while in college, hanging mm-hmm. out with all these uber rich kids. Like I'm talking like daddy owns a fucking mine mining minefields and in Kazakhstan the Kazakh mm-hmm. kids and fucking like all these Eastern European kids, and uh, you know very well why I know these guys. Uh, and uh you know that's that's one of the well that's one of the perks of going to quote unquote these are not my words an elite school because uh now i know why they call them elite schools because uh these are the kids gonna pay to get in them you have to pay a fucking arm and a leg stay in them as well but um these kids never know they 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 come in on daddy's private jet or first class and whatnot they They have no idea and they don't care but what i did understand from them for example these kids maybe like 21 22 years old mm-hmm. um especially the eastern european ones central asian ones are very pro-russian very pro-russian i was like which i find I, I literally was like putin or obama that was the question i asked these kids like putin hands down putin like really all of them yeah all of them what's the argument huh What's the argument? And don't get me wrong. Without, I mean, the historical context of what the U.S. has done is pretty fucking terrible, and it's really it's hard to kind of compare to Russia in terms of what they've done. It's who's making them money, dude. That's what it comes down oh, to. Oh, that makes more I, sense. I was I, like, I'm trying to I think met, of it from a logical place. Then I, I met Qatari kids and fucking you know Kurds and stuff like that, and they're like they're very pro America because uh, that's that's where Daddy made money. Feeds. Yep. Mm-hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense, man. It's really interesting to see. And like that's... But the funny thing is they all hang out together. So that's like I'm saying, like like you're saying, it's a network. So when these guys all comes are down like to the money. 45 years old, if he needs to hit up a fucking mining company in Kazakhstan, he yep. went to fucking college with his friend. So they yep. that's how they all met. So yep. that's, that's the next level of geopolitics mm-hmm. that I'm curious about. Because all of those wealthy people from everywhere in the world that have had access to the u.s education system based on money not on merit Mm -hmm. went to all these big schools and got connected with say the political elite of america as well well they start in the the skull and bones and then they end in the trilateral commission you know like it's exactly it's a a nice little little uh ladder up it's this and nas alluded to this point as well where um he was talking about the prime minister of bangladesh and his and her son who was like basically in the u.s for half of his life mm-hmm. i can understand why domestic politicians who have never left america uh, left bangladesh would not want him to be the leader of the country just because they might think he's compromised but don't you think the u.s government sure. would try to send an op into a club that he hangs out at and become buddy buddy with him and try to like if I had unlimited resources and fucking whatever carte blanche on whatever I want to do in terms of foreign policy, like say like an Oliver North kind of character, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I would do. I'd find all these sure. kids of politicians and try to be buddy buddy with them. So when the time came 20, 30, 40 years from now, yeah, then, you know, you're, you've already have that connection to 
get in there. Well, and you bring up a really frustrating point too that that sort of ties into like why I think politics are particularly fucked. Like why why uh, you know we're on this bad road, and it's because of exactly what we're talking about. You're talking about rich, affluent kids who grow up not giving a fuck because they don't have to give a fuck because they don't have to worry about anything. Why are they like they don't have to worry about poverty? They don't understand what it's like to be poor, so they don't have to have any sort of empathy for that group because they've never had to experience it themselves and in fact they live in a sort of lifestyle that that behooves them to they're believe not bad that they people. deserved it no 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 they're, no i'm just saying that it, it very very much dictates a mentality among the majority of them in which case think about the psychological like the underpinnings of growing up and living rich man you have to at some point reconcile that you deserve it or else that kind of shit will probably psychologically fuck you up in the long run. I mean, you got to imagine there's probably a lot of kids out there that realize that and it makes them depressed. I'm not saying that, you know, being it's a version of the prosperity gospel, basically sure. like in, in their own convoluted way. I, I am, I am doing so well because I am so good because I deserve I this and I deserve this because I yeah. worked so hard. But so what kind hard. of, Nobody what else. kind of adult does that make? What kind of person do you grow up into when you're that type of person? Do you grow up into the type of person who understands the importance of everyone and, and doing policy that, that benefits well, everybody? The... Or do you grow up in a world where you go, you know what? I was taught that I take care of mine and my own and my friends. And that when I pat my friends back, my friend pats my back back. And so what I need to do is I need to engender a policy that takes care of those people while making sure that my base doesn't catch wise to the fact that I'm screwing them over in the long term. I help them in the short term, I screw them over in the long term, and my friends over here have enough money where the short term hit they can take as long as over the next 20 years, it, it nets them 10 times that, which is the kind of politics we have in the world today. And it's the kind of thing that really bothers me because it's lost on so many people where they sit there and go, hey, guess what? Trump gave us a tax break. Don't you understand how great that is? And you can sit there and look at him and go, yeah, but do you realize how what this has done has robbed your children of their education over the pack over the next 20 years? Do you understand how this is going to damage the infrastructure of America? How it's going to people deteriorate our roadways? How it's going to make it harder for people just, to get just, access to healthy food or medicine? And they sit there and go, but you know what I got though, man, was I got a tax break. I got this tax break. And that is helping me out because that means this year, I don't have to worry about where this debt that I have is, is how it's going to get paid off. And you sit there and go, yeah, but what about next year? And they go, well, that's a problem. Rory, I'll teach year. you a trick, man. If you purchase a private jet for work, you can use it as a tax write-off completely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're ever in a bind, just buy a private jet. You'll be fine. Oh, good. I'll, I'll think on that. I'm just okay. letting you know it's it's there in the U.S. tax system that if you really want to write off taxes for the year, just buy a private mm -hmm. jet. It's yep. there. It's there. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, spousal gift write-offs and all kinds of great <laughs> stuff, you know? Well, that's why, see, uh, all I would do is I would see, I would create a company in America that is owned by a company in the Cayman Islands um, that is uh, headquartered in Ireland, and then I won't have to worry about any of that shit. <laughs> I can just funnel that stuff through. Well, my company's paying me, but technically they're getting <clears> the money out of the Cayman Islands, so there's less taxes on it. Isn't that great? And that goes mm -hmm. into my bank account, which is here, but then there's also a bank account that I have over in the Cayman Islands where most of my money goes, so it's not being taxed. All perfectly legal. Well, well now we're boiling down to the whole point of basically capital flow. So that's how sure. like you know sanctions and embargoes work that way. We don't really mm -hmm. what people don't tend to understand is that we control or limit the ability for individuals and institutions to move capital. So obviously mm -hmm. if you can't move capital, you can't do shit. 
So, sure. and that works the other way around as well, evading taxes. So I don't know if you remember this guy named Rutger Bregman. He's an historian who got invited to Davos, I think a couple of years ago. And he just got up there and just said the most obvious thing. Like you guys all just flew in on your private jets individually. And we're talking about the environment. Yeah. And then I remember that speech. Uh, you keep you keep talking about like how we need to change things. Well, the only thing that would bring about substantial change is changing the tax code. If mm-hmm. we didn't have offshore tax accounts, so that the reason that we had, like you said, going back to the banana republic, banana wars and stuff like that, we created a system that allows for this, which yeah. is why no, totally which is why design. we, yeah. So it's totally by design. So it's not like oh shit, people are just siphoning off tax. They're not siphoning shit yeah. off. It's it not, oh my God, design. how did this happen? It's, oh my God, look at the way this, this is, is how you working. do it. Yeah, this, this is, is how this, you do it. This is, it was, you and me, the poor folk, we were never supposed to know about this process. We were never supposed to know that this was a possibility. We were only supposed to see this as the option of big business or that companies were doing it in some weird way to benefit their own employees or the consumer, right? It was never, it was never supposed to be this big secret. But for some reason, dude, between 1950s and now, CEOs, presidents, whatever you want to call them, board members, they all got way too fucking greedy and they stopped giving that money back to the rest of their company. So that's why everyone started to find statistics. So they're like, hey, did you notice how that from like 1970 to now, uh, minimum wage hasn't really increased in a way that's livable anymore? Do you notice that? But then you can also sit there and go, yeah, but how, why is the CEO salary gone up 300% in that same amount of time? What, why, why is that? So a CEO- That's his reward for making everybody yeah. fucking- Cautiously rich by mm-hmm. buying back shares, uh, fucking you know, inflating yep. the stock price for no reason, and then just you know, yeah, that's basically it. That's his reward. That's him. Like you said, you scratch my back. Like you think the yep. CEO is just some guy who came off the street? No, it's one of the dudes that went to school with him. Yeah, it's somebody like, all right now. Right you're thing. CEO. I'm chairman. I'm CFO, and we're gonna all work together and fucking get rich. But we're not gonna talk about it because mm-hmm. the system's already been created. So yep. we just work with the system. Well, it's funny, man, because even in situations where like I, I knew a guy like one of the CEOs of my old companies, like he he was an average dude. He actually like got lucky enough where he was the desk or two over from the guy who ran the company, became the guy's best fucking friend. And so when that guy stepped down from the company, he said, you know who I'm going to plan as my successor, my buddy, my buddy from the company. And he did. And so like it doesn't. Was that necessarily... a good move or is it a bad move? Indeed? I mean, the guy fucking was a scumbag sociopath. Like he was, I mean, this, this guy, (laughs) all of the rumors from back in the day were like the way he got through his day was by bumping lines of Coke at his fucking desk when nobody was paying attention so that he could ride himself through the night and keep working. Like the dude was by all accounts, a company man. So for the company, he was probably the best option they could in terms of the workers, anything fucking, but man, he was just another fucking going to do whatever he could to make the company survive, even if it was at the detriment of the employees. And he did it to several times where he would sell the company to some parent company who would then come in and liquidate the shit out of their worker base. And we're talking about people who've been there for 30, 40 years, didn't matter, gave half the company their walking slips. And now, so what he did is he came in, it's even worse than that, because he came in, he expanded production, he expanded the people who were employed there, hired a bunch of new people, gave everybody these careers, pushed them like they were going to have a nice future, and then brought another company in, took the managers from that, came in, liquidated all the kids. When I joined that company, we were in this office building that was half occupied, huge, huge space. And I sat there and went, why do we need all this space? And my boss looked at me and said, this whole place used to be chocked full of employees for this company. But uh, we did restructuring about three years ago and they fired half of the company. And now that scared me uh, because right before COVID hit, that was what he was planning on doing again. 
our company was going to sell the company to another company for hundreds of millions of dollars. I found a document on a desk in the boardroom one day because that's what I used to do was just clean shit up. And uh, I was like, <laughs> I am definitely not supposed to be looking at this. And it just laid out all of our company's revenue and our assets and how we'd done over the past couple of years. And I looked at my friend who I was doing it with and I picked it up. I said, this thing right here is, is this is a sales pitch, man. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, dude, this, they're trying to sell the company to whoever was just in here. Cause this is just absolutely, that's what this is. And then uh, very shortly after COVID hit and uh, the sale got held off, I lost my job. And then I think maybe six months later, they sold the company anyways. And people started losing their jobs in the middle of COVID. They merged but, with another company, spent $150 million during COVID, right? And then- um, How then, are they getting all this money? Is this like just them getting loans and stuff? And No, no, no. And they, just, had, uh, they had a pretty big, because we had a great, they had a great year in 2019. And then they were reared up to make this sale anyways, right? Then COVID hits, they liquidate, like they fire people, they do some rearranging. And then the process after that is they sell anyways for 150 mil. They have another company, right? that uh, has a lot of assets, a lot of managers they need. So they take the manager from the other company and put them in charge of his company. So now all the managers <laughs> from his company feel slighted, but that's okay. It doesn't matter because these new managers fired the old managers and that's where that company is now. So I don't know. You know who made this uh, whole game very, well, who prospered from it? I don't know if he invented it, but- uh, Rockefellers? Guy by- well, that well in the modern era, a guy by the name of Mitch Romney made yep. a lot of fucking money, asset stripping and firing people, and just mm-hmm. so did Bill Gates. Company to death. Yeah, so yeah, so did exactly. If you're that a is the system, now, though, that is the system. Yeah. So you're not people you're not going to show me. It's not going to change. Like, it, well, it's it's weird because ten years ago, let's say, if you were to tell me, there's not a single billionaire out there that didn't make his money by totally screwing somebody. I'd go, you're 100 percent right. Now, the only difference is that there's cryptocurrency. So some people just made it by getting lucky. Like that's literally the only difference is that you have a couple of billionaires now because of how fucked up the fucking market is in this world and how weird our system is. Somebody can buy something 10 years ago that's worth 10 cents each and it's now worth $50,000 each. And so they got lucky. But other than that, if you are a billionaire, you fucked somebody. Jeff Bezos destroyed lives. There are people who killed themselves because of Jeff Bezos. Don't deny it for a second. There are people who killed themselves because of Elon Musk. There are people who have killed themselves because of the actions of Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. Hell, Steve Jobs killed Steve Jobs. So don't tell me that <laughs> yeah. he didn't kill other people because of the things that he said or did. Okay. Not only Every, did he kill himself, he didn't fucking cure himself either. Way. He killed himself in the worst fucking way. Steve Jobs yeah. was a, a brilliant guy when it comes to sales and manipulation. And you can't tell me that it wasn't manipulation. And he was an absolute fucking narcissistic sociopath because he gave himself pancreatitis because he was a fruitarian go ahead and look into fruitarian tell me how fucking smart that shit sounds so it's so it's such a specific diet he's eating nuts and fruits like that's basically what he's subsisting off of and it gave him pancreatitis it's so bad um, that led to pancreatic cancer now he knew about it super early on because he knew he had pancreatitis before it developed into pancreatic cancer right and he could have done anything to mitigate the problem and turn it around. He had all the money in the world, but he kept on his diet. He didn't go for any traditional treatment. He went holistic and he fucking he went, died 
for it. He went for the essential oils, dude. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's essentially what he did. He essentially went for the essentials and fucking died. <laughs> he's an asshole. And every story uh... I've ever heard about Steve Jobs always makes me feel like he's just a massive fucking prick. The worst story I ever heard, I feel like I've told it on this podcast before, actually. Um, if not this one, then another one that I've done where he was meeting with a, an app developer, right? And now uh, the mm-hmm. app was was going to get sold to Apple for $20 million, right? And Steve Jobs, the way it used to run, the way this thing would go, is he wouldn't be in there until like the last meeting you would have. So you'd go through these meetings with all of his representatives and all these other people working the company, and they'd sit there and chat with you. Oh, it's going to be great. We can't wait to get this part of the app store. It's going to be so good. Oh, you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, you'd be sitting down in this boardroom. Steve Jobs walks in, just sucks the air out of the room. Nobody's talking. He sits down there. Well, okay, what the fuck is this? What what the fuck am I doing here? Just a bad mood. Comes in like a dick. And I think, honestly, he did it purposefully. He's starting off by showing that he's irritated. He sits down there. He looks at all the documents. What the fuck is this? What is this stupid fucking app? How much are we giving you for this pile of shit? Looks at the guy. The guy goes, ah, you have me on contract for $20 million. He goes, we're not giving you $20 million. He goes, we are... We already all agreed. Like we basically all signed that you are going to give me $20 million for this app. Steve Jobs looks at the guys and go, uh, I tell you what, we're not going to give you any money for your shitty fucking app. You can accept $15 million from us, which is 5 million under what you had, or you can reconcile how you're going to sell this fucking thing when you don't have access to the Apple app store. And the guy would go, okay, I guess we'll take it for 15. And Steve Jobs would go, you're fucking right. You are. Because he had them over a barrel. It didn't matter all of the the intricacies of how business. When you're works. the gatekeeper, man. He was the gatekeeper. And he would sit there and he would he knew it didn't matter. He would let these guys come in and be the good cops and sit there and give him a good deal. And then he'd come in bad cop and cut millions of dollars out of the deal for them. And they would either sit there and deal with it, or they wouldn't be an app on the biggest app store in the on the planet. And this is what he did over and over and over again. And it's how he saved you know, money out of their overhead. Uh, you know, I mean, Steve Jobs is the kind of guy who you would get on an elevator with and you'd just be sitting there and you'd look at you and go, what project are you working on? And if you couldn't adequately explain to him your important, like not only the what the project was, but what your involvement in that project was and why you were important, you might get off that elevator without having a fucking job at the end of it. You know, it, it's, it, I think everybody loves Apple. But it's one of those things that for me is always going to be a cautionary tale in the corporate world. Because if anyone you've ever met who has ever worked for Apple or tried to work for Apple, it is a cult. It is so cult-like in the sense that they want you to live at that office. They want you to be unhappy about leaving that office, right? They don't want you to leave. They want your life to be Apple. You sign up and you are more or less working there, but they don't, they want the type of people who, if you were to get a call at one 30 in the morning, it wakes up you, your kids crying in the other room, your wife screaming about the fact that your boss from Apple is calling you at one because it's an emergency. He wants you in, in two hours. They want your response to be shut up, honey. I have to go help the company. And then to get in there, that's what they want from you. And, that, and that's me, all that's all under the guise of like, oh, we're such a cool and progressive place we're to work. A Look family. at us. We got we got video games and all these health snacks, and mm-hmm. you know, everyone drives a Prius. Yeah, like, you but know, if you're not important enough, we better not fucking catch you playing ping pong at the wrong time because it's gonna seem like you're not working, right? Mm-hmm. And it's scary, man. It's those precedents. It's the Googlers uh, of the world, it's the Apples, it's the Amazons that scare me. 
it scares me because at first these were choices, right? There was plenty of other options, but as they consolidate these spheres, it's really a lot harder to argue that the tech sphere isn't becoming one of the more important areas in terms of job creation. And these are the type of people running it. These are like the kids that we made fun of or got made fun of back in high school who are now angry and have fucking superiority complexes and billions of dollars and they control you motherfucker and i'm not saying that is indicative of like why they're being assholes uh, i definitely think that becoming a billionaire changes your view of the average person and what they're supposed to do for not you. not even a billionaire dude i mean just, just millionaires even a sure. couple of millionaires i mean yeah. i was watching bill maher talk about fucking afghanistan the other day and it was just so painful to watch that thing it touch. was just like cringe it was just cringe i mean you already know what he's saying. I don't even have to tell you what he's saying. Sure. But it's just like, it's it's some of the stuff like, you know, it, from where he comes from, like what, it's the the worst part. This is the worst part. It's not like he's been consistent all his career. No. He is literally, like if you could post early 2000s or late mid 2000s Bill Maher versus Bill Maher now, he would, he would literally be debating himself. That's, sure. that's where I'm at. So to be honest, like, I mean, I give Bill Maher a lot of shit now, but, but but recently, for like for me, for me, it's just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like you're the one who kind of like opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. Well, the way instead you of being the voice of reasoning, I mean, I stopped watching Bill Maher a while ago, and that was just because oh, he, he, he became such a condescending prick. The problem, yeah, is, he's is so that smug. I, I want you. To, I, I just I, I look at him and I go, I want you to stop being so oppositional along generational lines first off. Um, and I want you to stop being so oppositional around political lines unless it is appropriate. And that's the problem is like, I'm sitting here and I hate it because you can't have this discussion anymore because you get those people go both sides. You're just a fence sitting douchebag. And I sit there and I go, yeah, but do you not remember what happened with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in the 2016 election? Because everybody who was a liberal thought they were going to win and they all stuck their noses up at the Republican side and any conversation that was going to happen literally got turned down from condescension. Okay. And you lost, you fucking lost because of it. Okay. You sat there and you acted like you were better than these people. And those people you thought you were better than, well, they just trounced you. They just fucking beat. You. Okay. Right. It wasn't a massacre, but it was, it was enough where they could still fucking like you know they could they could still play the game as they want and win despite losing the popular vote okay so for all these super smart morally like uh correct people, righteous yeah whatever you want to call them they literally correct fucking whatever you lost they lost as a result and it's fucked up because this time around they won they put biden in power and watch how quickly the fucking paradigm shifts yet again because of that decision because we just can't seem to fucking learn from the mistake because again it's that bill maher mentality it's the uh, if you the bill maher went from supporting bernie this. in 2016 to being full-on klobuchar fanboy mm -hmm. he's like i still he's like you know i'm who i'm looking at real hard klobuchar i'm like because he thinks that he has the ability about? to swing the ideologies of the election Bill Maher thinks that he's he's not entertainment. He thinks he's providing something to the fucking discourse, right? He thinks he's that guy from the newsroom now. Yeah. Well, in the he literally is, he literally did a fucking watered down monologue of that of that. He does a watered down that. monologue every fucking time. But yeah, I get no, what no. You're but saying. I'm like of that of that little thing. Oh, America, American exceptionalism, blah blah. blah. Like you know, America's great. Why you gotta be a hater? Like we blah, blah blah blah. Yeah. It's just yeah. like why? It's like yeah, and then. 
I'm like, dude, you're the one who used to critique the fucking wars. Mm-hmm. You were the one who used to critique yep. the wars. What happened? Trump broke your brain, dude. Yep. That's all well, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, a lot of other people's brains. They just well, couldn't handle it now. That's, that's what it is now. And it's honestly the kind of thing where if, if you were to tell me if, if future me was to come back right now and go, we need to change the past. The civil war happened in eight years. I'd sit there and go, yeah, that makes sense. Like it wouldn't shock me if the next decade yeah. is us pushing ourselves towards violent conflict between one American and the other. Because right now, look at how fucking we're already we are. there, dude. We're well, we're already there. It's just we're in a we're in a position where it's it's these small it's these small groups or certain individuals taking it upon themselves, thinking that they're going to spark the revolution. And let's be honest, the, America's way too apathetic to do that. The only way we'll ever do that is if we starve. If 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 people start getting hungry, that's what causes. What do you think is going to happen when people start losing their homes? The eviction moratorium isn't looking that good. The Supreme Court just fucking uh, uh, well, the sad mm-hmm. went against it. So I'm going to the pull sad this up reality right there, man, is that people losing their homes, like they'll the majority of those people will find some way to alleviate their problem and we will ignore the smaller percentage of them that slide into poverty and homelessness because that's what america does we can have statistics floating around like there's more vacant homes in the united states than homeless people but we do that because it's more profitable to keep them vacant than it is to rent them out to people who have no margin or means of paying but that doesn't change anything us knowing that you know, uh, decriminalization of hard drugs and the open up of injection sites does nothing but benefits for the communities that see them. But that won't cause people to do that because we're too busy listening to hate mongers and fear and rhetoric from people who we agree with because we are a nation of authoritarians. That's what we are. We have so many people ironically sitting there talking about how you shouldn't listen to the mainstream media anymore while they eat up the words of people like Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla and Alex Jones and all these other fucking YouTube Spotify podcast fucking celebrities who are sitting there spoon feeding an ideology into them without being able to back it the fuck up with any sort of real logic. They're sitting there opining. To Don't forget jo- in terms Jordan of their Peterson personal and Jordan. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of them. Man. Gateway to all this a, shit. You know, but he's usually the go- gateway to all this shit. Like I can understand. Like uh, mm-hmm. if you're a disgruntled mid twenties person with no prospects in life in the middle, living in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, and you come across Jordan Peterson. And you have that victim mentality. Oh, he's just such a hypocrite, you will, though. You, I know that's that's the funniest part. It's like I think it's just just such a fucking biggest, hypocrite. I know he's always talking about pulling yourself out of the bootstraps, having your own account, I mean, being accountable for your actions and your own destiny. And this motherfucker becomes a drug addict, goes to Russia to trial a you know a, a treatment coma. that wouldn't be yeah though yeah exactly an induced coma to get it fucking cure himself apparently like good I mean, on him well, to fucking cure on himself but like you know it's everything you it said in, in the your face entire of career said. is yeah exactly your yeah. entire career has been a lie because of that just take you got to take responsibility for yourself and your own actions now excuse me i've got to get on a plane because i'm a oh god what was he addicted to uh it was it opiates it was something harder it was it was like yeah. a specific it was a specific medication i think and he was just hard addicted to it and what we're talking about when we say that he went and did an induced coma, you see, there's 
a couple of ways you can detox from things. Benzos. Right? He's on benzos. Yeah, he was on benzo. So benzo withdrawal is particularly fucked up. And now old Jordan Peterson didn't think that he had that gumption he likes to preach to everybody else about having that sort of stick to itiveness. Uh, he didn't think that he had it himself. He didn't think he had the ability to beat his addiction. So he went to a different country because the procedure he wanted to have done was illegal in most developed nations. So he goes to Russia where they allow it, which is where they put you into a chemically induced coma. Now, the reason they don't put people in chemically induced comas is because there's a very, very high chance that certain things can happen that you can like lose control of certain muscles. You can lose control of your speech. A lot of fucking bad complications come from it. Hence why it's illegal. You might not wake up. There's a lot of different fucking things that can happen. But he went and had that procedure done. And as I'm pretty sure, I think he lost his voice for several weeks afterwards. Something happened to him. He atrophied. It was something bad. Like he, he ended up getting a pretty bad, uh, side effect uh, from from doing it and you'll probably never hear him talk about it <laughs> because it flies in the face of his you gotta be responsible argument because he wasn't or maybe you could you know, there's somebody out there some conservative saying they're going well, no he was responsible because he took uh you know cre you know he he admitted he had a problem and he went and fixed it, it doesn't matter how he fixed it what matters is that he fixed it you know and you sit there and go okay man Great. Go get addicted to benzos and tell me how easy it is to get off of them the right way then. Just, I don't know. Uh, I, get, I get tired of it. I really, I, I do. I get tired of the authoritarianism that we face in this country. And that's not to say that like you're an authoritarian if you hear someone say something and you agree with it based on their logic, because I feel like that's the misnomer, you know? I just think that it's so much easier for people these days to pretend that what they're doing is having a nuanced argument or approach to a discussion based on logic and objective reasoning when what it really is is that dude saying what i like and it makes me feel better in in the face of other people telling me that i'm a piece of shit i've got this community that goes oh i'm good don't worry about it you know 